Hey everyone, this is one of your hosts, Ian Stewart, and before we get started with today's episode, I want to ask a favor of you. We would love to be able to share the Experience Birthed podcast with more people so we can connect more people to the community and feature more businesses. The best way to do this is through you leaving us a review. On whatever podcast platform you listen on, we would love if you could leave us a five-star review and a few thoughts. In doing this, we're going to enter you to win some free Birthed Bucks. What are Birthed Bucks, you ask? Well, they are free money to almost any business in the town of Birthed. And when we say entered to win, we don't mean one in every hundred thousand wins some birthed bucks, but we have a lot of these that we want to give away. So leave us a review and we'll announce the winners throughout our next few episodes. Thank you for taking the time to support our great community and the great businesses and organizations that are a part of it. Now let's get started with today's episode. You're listening to the Experience Birthed Podcast, where we connect you with the birthed community and the surrounding area. You'll hear from local businesses and community leaders so you can be better connected with your community and support local right here in Bertha, Colorado. So get ready and let's experience Bertha together. Welcome to another episode of the Experience Bertha podcast. My name is Ian Stewart, one of the hosts, and here with our co-host, Melissa Feldbush. Hi, Ian. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, we have a very interesting episode today with Nick Doucette, the COO of Ursa Major Technologies, uh, which we are going to get into exactly what that is. But Nick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, you guys letting me take the time to talk to you. Absolutely. So tell us, what is Ursa Major and how did it get started? Sure. Yeah. Um, to put simply, uh, we're a manufacturing company that designs, builds, tests, and sells rocket engines. So it's just, just as it sounds. Um, to get more technical, we make liquid rocket engines. So we use uh, liquid kerosene or jet fuel and liquid oxygen. Um, if you want to talk technical questions yeah. after that, no problem. <laughs> um, but really it started uh, actually in t- the idea and the concept started in uh, about 2015 when our CEO realized if you look at sort of the progression of aerospace startups. I think everyone can point to Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk as sort of the contemporaries in that space. Everything was vertically integrated. And what that really means is you you build the engines, you build the, the vehicle, you launch, you do it all together. Now, if you take a moment and look at the airline industry as an example, United flies the plane that you sit on, Boeing builds the plane that United flies, and General Electric, in this case, builds the engines that Boeing flies on the plane that United uses. So there's sort of a supply chain there, and we really saw back then that there was this tipping point that if you didn't have enough capital to vertically integrate, like the Elons and the, and the Jeff Bezos, is that you could tip the industry on its side. And so what we decided to do was, or our CEO decided to do is, let's focus on the engine, because it really is the most difficult part of the rocket. Yeah. Uh, and if we can get really good at that, we can start to create a little bit of a supply chain here and being an enabler. So that was all the way back in 2015. And while we're still trying to do that, what we've seen is the interest isn't just in the launch industry, it's in a bunch of different industries, which we can talk about later, but that was the real birth of it. Uh, and we still focus just on the engines. It's all we do. So we build, test and ship rocket engines and we test every single day. And right here in Bertha, Colorado. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. amazing. So, like we're actually probably testing right about now. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so test- how did you end up here in Bertha? So uh, again, I'll go back to, the, I'll keep referencing these two companies, SpaceX and Blue Origin, just because it's easy for, for kind of comparison's sake. But those two companies 
uh, and there's many more that have sprung up kind of like them, but, you know, their headquarters are in Washington. Obviously, one's in Los Angeles where SpaceX is and Blue Origin's up in um, Washington. Really great cities, really easy to draw in talent. Everyone wants to live there. Um, maybe not so much now, but, you know, years <laughs> yeah. ago, a little different. Uh, anyways, you can't test there. So what they end up yeah. doing is they build mm-hmm. test sites. Uh, and in fact, both companies have test sites in Texas. So SpaceX has one uh, right outside of Waco in a town called McGregor. And then Blue Origin has a test site uh, in a town that actually um, called Van Horn that Jeff pretty much purchased. Um, so <laughs> you can buy the town. On but, Amazon, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, so what they do is they fly in engineers, right? And it works, right? You fly engineers, you fly the hardware in. Um, but what's really unique, if, if you can couple design, build, test, and that feedback loop can consistently come closer and closer together from a time scale, um, you can actually accelerate things. So we were really looking for a place where we could do all of those things as close together as possible. Yeah. And if you really think about it, Texas is a really good candidate, um, maybe outside of Austin. Um, and also, you want to be able to attract talent. So we could go stand up something in, in the middle of Wyoming, but it's just hard to get people to, to leave a place like Los Angeles or other yeah. really neat places they live. Um, Nothing against Wyoming there, but it's you have to think about it from an economic perspective. So anyways, uh, Texas was really attractive, but so was Colorado. Um, and what tipped the scales is our CEOs from Colorado knows the area really well. Um, and to be honest, as a person that's not from Colorado, um, in fact, I'd never spent a day in Colorado except when I took this job and moved my family here. Uh, I didn't realize kind of how the demographics worked and, and how you have these large tracts of land and then quickly you have this great city like Fort Collins or Boulder or even Denver, uh, and there's just these pockets. And then uh, it really became clear that we could probably make this happen. Uh, got a call, um, this is no joke, got a call from a realtor that said, hey, I heard you're looking for a place to test rocket engines. <laughs> and you know, luckily, our again, our CEO who's from Colorado, who's from Lyons, knew of Berthoud, and it kind of, a little light bulb went off. And yeah. And it just snowballed from there. Long answer to your question. Yeah, Sorry. no, that's awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about the facility or as much as you can. Obviously, I'm sure there's yeah. some stuff you can't say. but uh, Actually, yeah, it's pretty pretty open. Um, so the facility uh, is on a 90-acre kind of rectangular um, parcel of land right off County Road 7. Um, so we're about a mile um, south of Highway 56 and probably about a mile west of 25. Uh, so for those that drive 25 for the last however many years, there used to be an old motor park, like a dirt bike park. It's yeah. right on the highway. Mm-hmm. We're right to the west of that. Okay. So it's kind of hill crests were right there. And that facility's been there since the 80s, that rectangular 90-acre parcel of land. Uh, and the way it was designed, it's really neat and super innovative, actually. Ball Aerospace built it, and you have a, you have a control center right at the front of the facility. So when you drive up, there's a control center, and then kind of equidistant, like a triangle, there are two big bunker buildings. And those bunker buildings have no windows, and they have a high bay, a low bay, cranes, infrastructure. And what's underground actually are all these conduits that used to run all the cabling and tunneling for all the data transfer. Because imagine the 80s, the cables were yeah. slightly bigger than the ones <laughs> we used today. So, um, anyway, so they would run these tests. And what they would do is they would do um, testing like live munitions. So they'd take a, a live missile and shake it. Uh, and see if they could hopefully not get it to explode. Um, <laughs> cryo testing, so that that's deep cold. So mm-hmm. they take yeah. like a cryogenic f- liquid, like a liquid nitrogen or liquid oxygen, and try to 
make something cold and test it and see what it does. Um, environmental testing, vibration, shock, uh, and all of it was done here. In fact, they even had at one point an outdoor centrifuge where they would take a, a missile and put it on the end of a long arm, like a carnival ride, and spin it around as fast as they could. <laughs> so all this was going on at birth in the 80s. Um, and, then it, and then the land and the facility transferred hands. And so for years, nobody was really using it until Ursa came along and they said, hey, would you like to sublease this little you know, bunker, what was neat about it is that it's all bermed. So you have these sort of 15-foot dirt hills mm -hmm. around that bunker, and you have to drive into it. Yeah. And so we actually point one of our rocket engines right at the berm and kind of use the berms as like a sound kind of dampening. Very, you know. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of birthed history that no one knows about. Right <laughs> I'm still surprised. We pull up old drawings and birthed has, and I think a lot of people are unaware of major employers like that. And so to, to have your entire team be up here, that's a, that's a great addition to, to this community. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it's great. We can attract talent, you know, um, birthed and even just Northern Colorado in general is great for people, families. We have a couple of folks that live downtown Denver actually, and they make a 45 minute drive every day, which honestly isn't terrible to mm -hmm. test rocket engines considering the alternative <laughs> is to get on a plane yeah. and fly a thousand <laughs> yeah. miles. So, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's really a kind of a perfect storm of all the things we needed to find. Yeah. So what is an average, do you test every day? Mm -hmm. So we oh. test, uh, we, call it, we, we measure tests by two things, attempts. So how many times we attempt to test because not every test is successful. And then how many times do we actually light the engine? Um, because when you're, when you're doing rocket engines, what you're trying to, what you're constantly doing is you're either in what we call development mode, which is you're testing a new design or a new um, modification of a design, or you're acceptance testing. It's a simplification of it, but really that's what it is. And acceptance testing is like um, if you bought a car that came out of the factory and they have to kind of run it on a dyno and just check to see if it works, more or less it's like that. We yeah. put it on the stand, we run it, we run two tests to acceptance test it, and then it would go uh, out to the customer. Uh, tests, the longest rocket and a rocket engine will run on our stand would be three minutes. Wow. So they don't run very long. Yeah. Like people don't realize that. It's not like a jet engine. So um, like even if you ever watch like a SpaceX launch, um, the engines are only running for like three minutes, you know? <laughs> so it's up and out. Yeah. Um, which is totally different than like say a jet engine, which runs for hundreds of thousands of seconds and minutes and yeah. you know, has life, life <laughs> right. requirements. So, um, you know, at most a couple of minutes a day that the engine's on, um, but we do get about four to six attempts a day. It's fun. It's cool. Yeah, that sounds like a field trip is definitely ne necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, so you just recently moved to the birthed community yourself. Yeah, last fall. And, and uh, how has that been, uh, you know, being a, a part of a business in the community as well as now living here in the community? What, uh, what have you enjoyed about that? I got to do stuff like this. Uh, Walt <laughs> and the whole town, you know, community has been fantastic. Uh, I mean, I, I actually grew up in a really small town in the East Coast, so... Birthed feels a little bit, as far as much as I said, I'd never go back to a small town here. I find myself, right? Things yeah. happen that way. Um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, uh, it's cool being able to, uh, we, we do a lot of outreach with the local neighbors. Um, we invite a lot of the school children on the weekends to do tours. And, you know, we're all super nerds. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> a lot of kids to be nerds. Um, and so to be actually living here and doing that, it's, you know, a little bit more impactful too. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. I, we, we like it a lot. I mean, eager for the winter to end, let's put it that yeah. way, but, <laughs> you know, enjoy some of the springtime stuff here. Um, so are these rockets being sh shipped in, brought in? How does yeah. That work? So, um, 
so like I said, we do the design. So the design, when I say design, I mean like the actual 3D modeling, uh, all the analysis, all the fancy charts you probably see in the movies of people designing uh, stuff. So we do the design work, uh, and then we, we actually, 80% of our engine by mass, so by its weight, uh, is 3D printed metal. Wow. Oh. So uh, we outsource that to some suppliers that print our rockets out of powdered metal. And that's a whole process in itself, but it's been around for about 15 years. But um, so every piece has a different um, chemical composition that's specifically used for that, that component. We're trying wow. to, to slim down the number of um, types of metals that we use, but these metals are designed like discreetly for their use cases. So for example, um, you know, we have parts on the engine that see temperatures of close to negative 300 degrees based on the liquid oxygen. So the metal that you use there is a metal that gets stronger when it gets colder, right? And that's a, a chemical makeup of it. And then there are other metals like that don't see, like uh, the fuel side that won't see cold temperatures or as cold. So you want them to be lighter. So you use a different metal. But you can 3D print these out of um, a really fine powder. You've probably seen it on maybe a show yeah. or something, but yeah, it's just a layer by layer, like a 3D puzzle, and it's a laser printing on, on metal powder. And so most of the engine is, print, is made that way. So then we outsource the printing, then we take it in, do some inspections, then we outsource it for the machining, um, and, which is part of our plan of, of expanding is actually bringing some of that in. But, um, and then when those parts come back, it, we do all the assembly, uh, and then we put everything together. It has tons of wires and sensors on it. It doesn't look as glamorous as you think. It's, <laughs> it's a beast of kind of you know, <laughs> harnessing and stuff. Um, and then we literally put it on the test stand, sync it all up, run the test. Uh, with all the acceptance data looks good, which is usually a day or two of kind of a lot of data review. And tons and tons of data traces and making sure the pressures and the temperatures are all exactly in spec. Uh, it gets off, it gets inspected, a bunch of things get put on it, it gets put in a crate, bound up, we call FedEx Custom Critical, and they ship it to a customer. Wow. So So I'm trying to visually imagine this. I was thinking ginormous. Very small. You'd be oh, okay. Very, um, our, our, so we have two engines that we currently manufacture. One's called Hadley and one's called Ripley. And Hadley is what we call a 5,000-pound thrust engine, so it's a small engine, um, and it's, it's roughly about this big. It only weighs about 60, wow. 65 pounds, so oh. it's not very big. Oh, um, wow. And then Ripley uh, is a 35,000 to 50,000-pound thrust engine, so we're getting bigger, um, but still not that big, and that's a couple feet big from the floor. Um, okay. And that, uh, again, is printed just like Hadley. We definitely know that what we do is a little bit um, odd, right? For lack of a better term, rocket engines. Um, a lot of us have been doing this for, for a while. Um, I think we, I don't know the numbers anymore, but we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of seconds of testing combined at our company from different experiences. Uh, Hadley alone has run for 15 or 16,000 seconds of total time. So you know, we really three minutes at a time. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we take it super seriously. I mean, last year we tested almost 8,000 seconds on Hadley just last year. Um, and so we, we love what we do. We're really safe about it. Um, but we also recognize it's a little loud. So we're constantly trying to figure out ways to, to make it quieter, uh, to do it financially responsibly too, because things can get out of control yeah. if you start adding a lot of complexity. <laughs> um, but, you know, I told this to, to Walt in the town, like, you know, if, if this works and you know we're all betting it will 
uh, Ursa starts to become a major player on the aerospace market, and you know, Bertha becomes the next home of aerospace. You know, that's what everyone's wow. looking for because LA has got their thing. Yeah, right? Bertha could become sort of the hub of aerospace innovation uh, for the future if we can you know, get this thing going. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Experience Berthet podcast, where now you know you can fly to the moon just by living here in Berthet. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Nick, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah.